appoint new leaders and new elders over the church, and we ran through that. And one of the things that I love about both of these men is that um, before even, ha- they didn't need to read a list to live that life, right? And I didn't need to say, hey, I want you to be an elder for them to say, okay, well, then I better do this so that I can be installed however long from now. But rather, these were both men that were already living that life, already invested in our community. Many, I mean, Gosh, I guarantee you we could go through here and a majority of the people in this room have been directly influenced by the ministries of these two men and, and their amazing wives. And so that is a key part as we look to who do we want to lead our churches, who's already doing it without the title. And then let's, let's give the title as honor and then as respect and also as solid biblical leadership over the church. And so um, I asked the wives to be up here also because, man, they are tremendous and oftentimes are doing all the work that you don't see, and, uh, and especially behind these men. And, and it's been amazing having both of them and the guys as well over the years. It's funny to hear Kelly say, and I really appreciate the biblical preaching, because there's times where I know Kelly will come to me and say, well, I, or even say to Randy on the drive home, like, did he really say that? You know? And, uh, and, and honestly has been gently and carefully always trying to shape and mold our community to look more like Jesus and his church. And so I am so thankful for that. This is a huge day for me personally to have, uh, have these men join me on the, uh, the elder board here at our church. And so we're going to pray for them now, and I just encourage you guys to pray with us. Uh, and then this means moving forward, um, you don't need to call them Pastor Randy or, or, or Pastor uh, Anthony, oh, Anthony wants that actually. Brother, brother Anthony. Brother, elder, <laughs> elder, elder Anthony, um, which just feels weird given his age. Um, but anyway, we're going to pray for them. I encourage you guys to, to pray with us as we thank the Lord for bringing these men into our congregation. Lord, thank you for the G's and the Morses. God, thank you that you have shown us your grace, your gospel, and your truth, and you have saved us. And God, you long for that mission to go well far beyond our own hearts into the world. And Lord, you have raised up your people, the church, God, to be that witness to the world by the power of the Holy Spirit as you go out on mission. And you're just on the move, and you're using your church to be that vessel. And so thank you, God, for Redemption Flagstaff for the years of ministry we've had here. And Lord, thank you that today I believe you're making us healthier, you're making us better. These men are not perfect. I am not perfect. No one here is perfect, but you are perfect, Lord. And so we pray your continued refining fire, sanctification, and empowering over these two gentlemen. God, as they step into this office and into this role, God, to shepherd and to lead and to oversee your church for your glory, our joy, and the mission of redemption to the world. God, I pray blessing over them, commission over them, that, God, they would understand their calling, their sentness, God, to this community and to the world. Thank you for their gifting, their strengths, and thank you even for their weakness, Lord, that you make perfect in your strength, Lord. We pray, God, that you would consistently and faithfully refine them into the image of Christ, that they would be the leaders for this community that you would need them to be, and for the mission to the world that you've called us to. So, Lord, in your power and by your grace, we now install and commission them as elders here at Redemption Church Flagstaff. And Lord, we say thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you guys round of applause for these gentlemen. Thanks, guys. No, I know. All right. The Bible. Open up to Titus chapter 2. Okay, Titus chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 11 today. Um, if you don't have a Bible on you, hear me, we want you to have 
a Bible. If you don't own one, there's going to be ushers that will be coming down the aisles here that will pass out Bibles. Please raise your hand. We do it every week. Grab one, follow along with us. Titus chapter 2, towards the second half of your Bible. Just slip your hand up if you need one, okay? Let me give us a recap just so we know where we're going here. About four weeks ago, we started this letter from Paul, the Apostle Paul, to his disciple Titus, okay? The whole idea, the whole theme here is the church is growing after Christ's resurrection through Europe and Asia. Churches are being planted. Paul is doing much of the planting, and so he's sending these letters to these various various leaders and churches to say, all right, this is what we need need to do now, right? This is what the church needs to become, needs to look like. This is what leadership, on and on and on. And so we've tried to cover those topics through the first half of this letter. I think halfway through Titus, which is about where we're at, we, we, we find this linchpin moment about halfway through this letter where Paul moves from some practical, okay, uh, beware this teaching, but this is good doctrine, right? Install these type of elders, beware this type of leadership. All of these practicals now kind of turn on their head and the focus becomes the gospel in every possible way. It becomes grace upon grace upon grace. And I think this is wisdom from Paul. I think Paul's like, okay, there's some stuff we need to get situated. So, so let's go. Let, let, this, you need to point these elders. You need to watch out for this teaching. You need to teach sound doctrine. And he goes through that in the first half. And I think he understands the heart of man who will say, okay, so if we want a healthy church, if we want to do this right, then all we have to do is just the first half of Titus. Right? Like all we have to do is just make sure we, we, we cross our, uh, no, what is it, dot our I's and cross RTs, right? All we have to do is do what needs to be done, and that will equal a successful and healthy church. That is so far from the truth. And yet, unfortunately, I believe that is oftentimes how the church operates. We just know a lot of the stuff we're supposed to do, but we leave God, the gospel, and grace behind for the sake of effectiveness and strategy. The Bible surely gives us some specifics about what this whole church thing should look like, but if we leave and we miss grace, if we miss the gospel, we'll go nowhere, okay? We'll go absolutely nowhere. And so I think, again, Paul gets this, and so he's going to turn this all on its head and say, okay, here's what we need to understand, that grace saves us, right? But grace also sanctifies us and grace will also send us to the world. Today we're gonna hone in on the second one actually and then next week we'll come back to salvation and a plug for next week. I just wanna say this. If, if you have any questions or you have friends who have questions about the depths and the reality and the richness or what is the gospel, come next week. It is just gonna be all, let us lay out the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. I surely, if you're a non-believer here, please come back next week and visit us again, okay? Invite your friends, the whole thing. But today, I think we're gonna hone in on this second idea of grace being the sanctifying reality of our life. Now, all of this, I think, exists in a culture where we're really bad at dependence and very good at independence. So we've got this on our own. We believe in our own strength. We believe in our own capability. And so dependence is not something we embrace. But if there is simply one, hear me, if there is one thing, I'm not even, if there is one thing that I would like for our church to understand over the second half of this book and this letter from Paul to Titus, it is dependence. It is, it is a dependence, it is an understanding on the need and the richness and the depths of God in our lives. 
that everything you think you're good at, you, maybe you are good at, but you're only good at it because God. We as a church, not just in this room, across the globe, we need to be a bit more dependent. I think we miss so much of what God has for us because we're so busy white-knuckling it our own way. So what does it look like for us to move towards dependence? Here, across the church. My son, Finley, and yep, he's getting used again in a sermon, okay? Um, He's about, uh, gosh, about 20 months old now or so, 21 and he's starting to speak a bit more, right? More words are starting to come out. I don't know the number, but he's starting to say more things. But he doesn't know a ton, and he still doesn't know the word help yet, right? He, do, he doesn't get help. He doesn't understand. And so any moment, and I, and I saw this this week, and, and I just was like, man, this is the way, man, I wish I was dependent on God. Was anytime my son doesn't know how to do something or get something or find something or do whatever he wants, instead of saying help because he doesn't understand that yet, he just says, and he usually is adorable and looks at me and says, Daddy, 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 right? And it's so cute, right? And you just kind of crumple and I lay on the floor like whatever you want, right? He doesn't understand the word help. He just knows daddy. Like he, he just knows father. He just knows dad. He just knows the guy that's like around me all the time. You can help me here. You're the guy who's created for me this, this world that I live in. And so when he needs help, he just says daddy. When we need help, I often think, we just look to ourselves. Or we look to the closest self-help book we can find. Or, or we go to Google, right? And say, okay, well, how do I do? And you, I mean, you just see it. You type in how to, it's brilliant. If you just go home, type how to, and just see the results that pop up. Some of the craziest stuff. He's like, how, how, why would you ask that, right? Daddy. What would it look like if, as Christians, if, if our dependence, if our understanding of our need for God, if our understanding of that God has created the environment and the ecosystem for your thriving, that you do not breathe unless he allows you to breathe, if we don't understand that dependence, how will we ever move forward? What would it look like if we got that? And the first flinch of the Christian man and the Christian woman in this world, when we are just lost or confused or we don't know the way forward, It's not, let's Google something. It's not, let's ask a friend. It's daddy. It's God. It's father. It's, please come. Man, that's that's the type of dependence, this internal understanding of the depths of our need for God instead of this belief that we can just kind of figure this out on our own. That's that's my hope. And, 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 And it doesn't even matter how we say it. I believe it has way more to do with the posture of our hearts and souls. Again, Finley, he, listen, he, again, he doesn't even, you, you ever have it, right? And it, those of us with kids, remember when, they, and if you have older kids, I remember when they were younger and they can't actually say things, but you know they're trying to say things. Like in their mind, they are asking for help for something, but they don't know the words to piece together to ask that question. So like Finley, he just goes, daddy, right? And, that, and so you know he's saying, okay, I, he's probably saying, I want some milk, please, Daddy. But it comes out his tongues, right? And so you're just like, he's got the gift, okay? He's going to heaven. 
It doesn't matter how you ask. It, it, just ask, guys. If we get anything out of the second half of this letter, it's dependence. It's, man, do we need Jesus. We, we need him to, to not, listen, he's already accomplished what he's accomplished, right? But we need him now. You need him every moment of every day to continue to do everything he does that you could live, breathe, work, play, celebrate, be with family, friends, and be on mission for the Lord, okay? That's what I want for us. So let's, let's get started. Verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now, we're going to zoom in on this. Like, I think today serves as kind of the thesis statement for the second half of the book of Titus, but we're going to zoom in on this one next week, so I don't want to give you too much, but just grace. What is grace? And a lot of you have probably heard this. It is unmerited favor. It's what you don't deserve, okay? It's, I like to think of it this way. It's how grandparents treat grandchildren, right? It's, anyone grandparents here, right? Stop it with the giving of stuff, okay? It's, my mom comes to visit. It's 8 o'clock. He's ready to go to bed. Hey, you want a Snickers? No, mom. It's 8, and he's allergic to peanuts. Really, though. So if you see him, don't give him a peanut, okay? Grandparents just don't, and they give. Even though, listen, the kid hasn't done, the kid will throw a tantrum. Grandparent, yeah, whatever you want, Right? There's some more wisdom, I think, in the way God doles out his grace because he knows more about what will allow us to flourish. But I think that type of love, that type of pouring out, even though we deserve nothing, this, this is grace. It is way more scandalous than anything you would understand because we, we can't get grace because in our culture, we don't live in a graceful culture. We live in a dog-eat-dog culture. We live in a, hey, you've hurt me, so I will hurt you. Constantly, what do you hear? What's the word of the K? Karma, right? Oh, karma is going to come back and get you. Karma is not grace. It's the opposite of grace. Our culture preaches karma. The gospel preaches grace. You get what you don't deserve. So you're a broken, you're a messed up, sin-filled jerk. Grace, love, sacrifice. Okay. So we'll talk more about that next week, but that's what grace is. Okay. Um, before we move on to the main portion of today's message, where we really want to go with this, this idea of grace being uh, or leading and being the central part of our sanctification. I want to ask this question, and I want to ask it to the Christians in the room. Okay. So hear me. Do you want to be more like Jesus? Okay? Like, do, I mean, honestly, assess this for a moment. Do you want to be more like Jesus? Or... Did you just sign up for Christianity because that's what your parents did? Or did you just sign up for Christianity because it allows you to go to heaven? Or insert another reason. The Bible seems to paint this picture of the Christian life, of the gospel, consistently changing and sanctifying those who are in him. So I ask you again, Christian. Do you want to look more like Jesus? If the answer is yes, that means a whole lot more than I think we let it mean in our lives. And we're going to get into some of that as we go through this. Verse 12 through 14. Grace, 
is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Grace sanctifies. Grace trains. Grace changes and transforms us. But oftentimes, in my own life as well, I look at at, at where I was when I first got saved. I I look at where I was a year ago. I look at, at, uh, you know, I have meetings with you guys. We sit down. I look at the culture of the church And I begin to wonder, man, where's the evidence for this? Now, I know it exists, right? And every time we do a baptism, we see stories. And I'm I'm painting a very glim and grim picture intentionally to just wake us up a bit. Because I wonder, do we even want to look more like Jesus? Because if we do, that means some things. That means when God says no, we say no. That means when God says yes, we say yes. That means we engage with the things he calls us to and we stay away from the things he doesn't. All the while knowing we will constantly drop the ball and screw up over and over and over, but the pursuit and trajectory, if this is Jesus and we're here and it's constantly moving more to look like him. Indeed, I think the chief purpose of our lives is to look more like Christ because in that we glorify God. And make much of his power and his glory and his name and his fame, which is why we're here. Okay. Do you want to look more like Jesus? I was talking to a good friend of mine a couple years back, and she, man, she loved the Lord. But again, to ask her, when was the, when was the last time you feel like you experienced any type of like, Christ-centered, just transformation or difference in your life. And she said, I don't know, it's been years. She's been a Christian since she was a kid. I said, why do you think that is? She goes, I just don't care. Right? Like, the goal of looking more like Jesus has been lost in the church. It, it, it's just, hey, let me show up. I'll, I'll listen to you for 40 minutes, Pastor. You do your thing. Yell at me if you have to. But I'm not going to take it seriously enough to go change anything. And again, I'm not saying this to all of you. Some of you, you're rock stars, right? You're taking this out. You're just going out there. You're like, okay, this is what I need to work on. I'm going to get people around me, accountability, and I'm going to work on this by the power and response to the gospel, the whole thing. Maybe some of you are just crushing it. But it seems to be that the church in America is losing influence by, day by day. And it's because I think we look less and less like Christ. And listen, I, I am, again, and I will say this, and I try and say this as often as I can, but I am, man, I am indicted with all of us. I mean, here, here's, here's a brutal reality. There are things, man, I'll like, I'll like confess stuff from stage. I'm like, man, I was mean to Verity this week, and, and, you know, and, and I'll be open and honest with it, and then I'll be mean about the exact same thing that same week. And do I want to be more like Jesus? Because that means some things. I'm not supposed to stay as I am. You're not supposed to stay as you are. Now, even if you do, guess what? The gospel is good enough and sufficient and will save you. But we're not supposed to stay here. 
the trajectory of the heart of the Christian by the power and the grace of God is to look more like him. And he's going to give some reasons or give some things what this looks like. But I think, I think what we've done with Christianity, hey, how many people have seen the movie Rudy? Okay, you, this is better because a lot of times I ask and people, it's like nobody's seen anything good. But Rudy, okay? The story of Rudy goes and makes the Notre Dame football team, okay? He's on the team. He could stop there because he's already made the team, okay? But no, what does he do? He works his tail off and hard. Why? Because now that is what it means to be a member of the Notre Dame football team and also he then gets on the field at the end. I honestly believe that many of us are just celebrating that we're on the team. We're in. We're Christians now. I get to go to heaven. I get to come to church. I can say whatever I want. I can kind of... No, no, no. It means some things to be on the Notre Dame football team. And it means some things to be part of God's family. We cannot live like we're just excited we made the team. Be excited that you made the team. Be thankful. Worship. Praise. But do not let it stop there. Do you want to be more like Jesus? Okay. Do you want to be more like Jesus? Vince, do you want to be more like Jesus? Okay. Um, let me say this. The other day, I'm sitting in uh, Campus Coffee Bean waiting to have a meeting, and the table next to me, uh, they're having a conversation with one another, and they're talking about some problems and issues at life. And, uh, and one of the gals says to the guy she was with, she says, you know, if it wasn't for Oprah, I'd be dead. And I was like, wow, okay. And I'm expecting him to be like, you know, that's a big claim, you know. And he goes, I know, me too. <laughs> now let me be clear. This is not an indictment. That story is not an indictment on Oprah. Man, Oprah, yeah, she gives some good advice, right? She has been extremely successful in a culture that has probably not wanted her to be successful. And there are things to be learned there. This is not an indictment on Oprah, but those type of comments are a significant indictment on God. Oprah did not transform their life or heart. You see, what I think we've fallen into is this false reality that, again, the air we breathe is air we created. That, that the finances and resources that sustain your lifestyle are ones that you created. They're not. That the health that your body has or does not have is something that you figured out. Oprah did not do anything except be used by God as a vessel of common grace to the world. My parents growing up, right? Just the way we try and do with Finley, parents you try and do with your kids and your parents did for you. They create the environment and ecosystem that you could thrive. God does this at the greatest macro level we could never imagine. So that the only reason you and I sit here, we walk, we talk, we breathe, we think, we have feelings, emotions, is because God has so created it and allows it and sustains it and holds it together. And yet we, listen, and I even say that and I can just feel this like, yeah, yeah, I believe that. Do we believe that? God is the one that we are dependent on. 
You are alive because of him. And that's it. Now, he uses different people. He uses books. Hopefully, he uses the church. He uses your friends. He uses your spouse. He uses your kids. He uses all of these things. But at the end of the day, when we trace it back, it's God. So we need to operate and live like he is the sole person we are dependent upon. Because if that's true, and he's a good, good father as we sing, right, then each and every one of those little individual things, Oprah could go away, and guess what? God would still sustain, save, sanctify, and send. He is not dependent on anything of this world. We are wholly dependent on him. We must understand this at deeper levels, church. He is absolutely everything, okay? Um, Why is this so important? Why is this so important to Paul? Why, why is this so important to us? Why would I say, man, the only thing I really care about is you guys getting a greater understanding of how much you and I need God in every part of your day just by being. Why is this so important? I got four little reasons for you. Because loving, living, and looking like Jesus equals glory to God, the chief purpose of man. The more you love, live, and look like Christ the more glory is given to our Father who is in heaven. Scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture throughout your Bible, it always says, do this and do this. And there's all these imperatives. And almost at the end of every one says, for the glory of God, that he would be made much of. It's always about making much of him. The second reason is because loving, living, and looking like Jesus means joy to us. In his presence is the fullness of joy. So being with him, looking, living with him equals joy. Psalm 63.3, because your steadfast love is better than life. Who here will claim that this morning? That the steadfast, never-ending, unrelenting love of God is better than your whole life. How and who of us will claim that this morning in a profound way? And I I know I want to. Does what I truly believe back that up? I I think so. Lord, help me. Again, dependent. God, give me more faith, more grace, more of you. Okay. Third, loving, living, looking like Jesus means joining his mission in the world. This is why it's so important. Because God, from day one till the end of time, well, it's never really ending, but till, till the end of this earth as we know it, he is on a redemptive rescue mission to win back that which was lost. And this is important, living sanctification, living looking like Jesus is important because now we're part of that same mission. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We quote this one all the time. And yes, it is really good news. God has made us new, but it continues on. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. So now you're called into this. Now, I want you to just think for a moment what the life of an ambassador is as we know it. So if you're the U.S. ambassador to China, 
You go to China, you live in an embassy in China, and your role is to live in such a way that when the Chinese people look at your life, they say, this is what America looks like and cares about. Christian, as an ambassador of the kingdom of God, the world should look at you and say, oh, that is what the kingdom of God looks like. That's what the kingdom of God feels like. That's what the kingdom of God is doing in the lives of the world. Is that you? Do we want to look more like Jesus? If so, this is a big part of it. The last one, because loving, living, and looking like Jesus leads to persecution. Or at least it should The Bible is fairly clear on that. Now, surely cultural differences. I don't know if in America in this day and age, at least not this year and not today, are you going to be hanged or burned alive for your faith? Okay. But it equals persecution. Hebrews, or sorry, 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live a godly life, all who desire to look and live more like Jesus, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Hebrews 10, 32-34, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, after you were saved, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed for abuse and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on the prisoners, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your own property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Okay. Loving, living, and looking. Sanctification, being more like Jesus, will lead to persecution. And this might be one of the biggest reasons why we don't do it. Why, why maybe we get kind of, uh, we, we get somewhat into it, like maybe some of the internal transformation, that which makes us happier, more joyful, we're pretty good with. But then sometimes when it gets called to our outward actions, then we begin to kind of recoil and say, well, I don't know about that. That's too much. I'm good, for, I'm good with sanctification up to a certain level, and then, you know what, let me do my own life. The Bible doesn't laugh at that. It says, open yourself up, take it all, let it completely transform, renew, make you completely new, conformed into the image of Jesus. That, again, is the trajectory you will fail, but praise God for the gospel. Okay. Persecution is real, And if we are to endure it well, we better try and look like Christ. Because it is truly the gospel. It is the story we know. It is Christ's death led to the flourishing and forgiveness of mankind. See, he he took his suffering. In in his perfection, he knew exactly, okay, this is what I'm going to do with the persecution, with the beating, and he used it, right, for the glory of man, to take on the sins of the world that in his death we might have life. So Christian, do you want to look more like Jesus? Okay. Um, Let me read the text again. I'm going to run through quickly just some points that I think Titus, or Paul gives to Titus for specifically then, what, is, what does some of this look like? So let me, um, 
Let me read verse 12 to 14 again. It says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, and who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. So um, first, renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. So sexual morality, drunkenness, pride, gossip, slander, wrath, malice, the bachelor, on and on and on. Say no to that show. Just kidding. Renounce ungodliness. Reject evil. Flee from debauchery. Do you want to be more like Jesus? Who says, man, no. This is not who I am. That's, that's not what I follow. I, I don't think that's going to satisfy. I, I don't need these things. I don't need to pursue that. I say no. Sanctification should cause you, the grace of God should cause you to be transformed in such a way that you reject ungodliness. It does not mark your life. Again, will you fail? Yes. Gospel will cover that too, but where are you going? Where is the repentance in the church of God? The second one is be self-controlled, upright, godly. So this is not a, not a imperative, negative imperative, but a positive. So don't live like this, but live like this. Self-control, godliness. What not, so don't be known for just what you don't do. Be known for what you do. To love people, to serve people, to engage people, to sacrifice for people, to be generous for people, to do the things that Christ has called us to do. You want to love Jesus? Do you want to be like Jesus? This is what it means. Have a patient yet eager expectation for the arrival of Jesus once again. So here they, if the world is great as it is, Jesus, take your time, Right? But if the world is as broken as I think it is, Jesus, come quickly. I think this much might be an indictment to say, like, man, do you see what's existing? Do you understand the depths and the brokenness of sin? Do you realize that outside these walls that there are men and women sleeping outside right now in freezing temperatures without a home? Do you realize that beyond the borders of this country and inside the borders of this country, people are being slain and murdered, lives taken? There are atrocities around our world that we cannot comprehend or fathom. If the world is great, man, then Jesus, take your time. But if it's broken, Lord, come quickly. Will we be a people who understand the depths and the brokenness of our world and of sin, okay? If being with God is okay, if it's just, it's okay, Jesus, take your time. But if being in the presence of God truly is the fullness of joy, if being with God is truly the apex, the climax of all cosmic history, Jesus, come quickly. I think this statement just becomes a greater indictment in our heart. What do we want? What do we understand about God and Christ and the Holy Spirit in our lives? Next one is uh, a continued understanding of the depths of our justification. Again, we'll spend more time on this next week, but this redeemed from lawlessness, not perfect in our life and action, but perfect in his view of us because of Jesus. 
Again, we'll talk more next week. What does it mean for us to really just live in the richness of the fact that you are completely and utterly justified before God? You need not earn it yourself. And then lastly, purification. Constantly this internal revealing of something new and beautiful and clear and stain-free. Do you want to look more like Christ? This is what it looks like. So if you answered yes, right, uh, before, when we got into this path, if you said, yeah, no, that's what I want, okay, what do you say now? What, what, do, you, what do you say now? Because, yeah, there's some good things, right, but that means you have to give up some stuff. That means there's some sacrifice. That means there could be persecution. That means you have to go out and share the gospel. This means you have to love your spouses and your children well. This means you need to pray and beseech God over and over and over, Daddy, I need you because I can't do it myself. Do you want to look more like Christ? Again, I ask myself, and I hope it's true. We land here. <clears throat> 14b and 15 says, And to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And Anthony is going to cover this in two weeks as we hammer home. Okay, what is this sending? How does grace send us towards good works? And so we'll get more of that. I don't want to give too much to you. 15, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. I love this final exhortation. And, and again, like they did not have chapters and verses when Paul wrote this letter, but the end of this thought from Paul to Titus is go and preach this to the church. Don't let them forget it. It is that important. Preach, Titus, and let them not disregard you. Do not let the church say, this is not important. Do not let the church say, I don't want to do that. Say, if you're a Christian, start pursuing pursuing this. Titus, tell the church there's a way that we live. Tell the church and remind the church, and that's going to be next week, but I'm going to give you the glimpse right now. Remind the church that, that this is what we're going for, for, for God's glory, okay, for our joy, for the sake of the mission to the world and the sake that persecution will come. This is, this is how we live. This is what we need to try and look like, conform to the image of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit as he moves in grace. This is what it should look like. But guess what? He will spend the next whole portion, seven verses next week, laying out the beauty of what he accomplished on the cross. Because this is devastating news for me. It's devastating news for Titus. It's devastating news for the church in Crete. It's devastating news for the church in Flagstaff if this ideal was a checklist that you had to live up to to earn his favor. And it's not that. Never will be that. Instead, it's a question for all of us. Of, do you love Jesus? Do you understand? Do you love the grace of God as shown in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because if so, it should lead to this. But hear me, I don't want us to run from this place today. And again, just try harder. I want you to love Jesus. I want you to ask yourselves the right questions. Do, do, I, do I love the gospel? Do I, do I believe it? Because that means some things. Okay. This is what we pursue. So reflect on the grace of God in your life this week. I want to leave you with one other application. 
and, and this might sound self-serving as the lead pastor of a church, but I think, I think the answer, I think a primary answer is the church. How do we do this well? How do we take all of this and say, okay, God, now what? The church. In the Old Testament, God raised up a people. He didn't raise up just, he raised an individual in the midst of a community, in the midst of people. It wasn't just rogue people floating around being God's prophets to the world. It was in the context of community, in the context of family, in the context of people. The church is that today. You want to live this life? You go back to the question. Do you want to look like Christ? Do you want to be sanctified? Do you want to conform to his image? Be in the church. And I mean more than Sunday from 10 to 1130. Now, I want to share a quote with you. Oh, gosh, am I running long? What time is it? Okay, don't worry about it. We're going to go anyway. It doesn't matter. I'm not like I was going to stop. All right. <laughs> I want to propose to you that one of the answers, after grace, after celebrating the gospel, is the church. James K. Smith, theologian, philosopher, says this. says, the church, the body of Christ, is the place where God invites us to renew our loves, reorient our desires, and retrain our appetites. And I want to say this. By church, I don't mean this building at this time on Sunday morning. I mean the church, the people, the community, the family of God. Indeed, isn't the church a place where we are nourished by the word, where we eat the word and receive the bread of life? The church is that household where the Spirit feeds us what we need. And where by his grace we become a people who desire him above all else. Christian worship is the feast where we acquire new hungers for God and for what God desires and then are sent into his creation to act accordingly. I could not agree more. This is not a call for you to be more involved here. But it is a call for you to be more involved in God's people. There's all sorts of avenues and ways. We always say this here at our church. The top thing you can do to be involved with any organization is to be involved and dedicated to their mission. doesn't matter what, what, orient, or, or what organization you're in. The same thing goes for us. Our mission is to see all of life redeemed for the glory of God in the city of Flagstaff through the discipling of men and women to know him, love him, and share him. So if you're doing that at any level, I don't care if it's here on Sunday morning, I don't care if you show up to an RC, if you're doing that in your life, amen, you're part of God's church. Then there's some other stuff that we do here that I would love for you to be part of if it is something that will be helpful in your mission to the world, but plug into God's family. Just last week, some pastors down at Redemption Arcadia put on a conference called the Kingdom Leaders Seminar. And they brought in just local leaders from, from both the, the, uh, the church and the marketplace and said, come in, train us on good kingdom-centered leadership. And two of the pastors that were there were from Ethiopia, visiting, and they came to speak. And they were asked, hey, if you could critique the church in America, what would you say? And man, they had a lot to say. But I wanted to share one quote from them. It said, the American church has given over the culture to the world. In Africa, we used to look at the American church as our leader, but now we can no longer allow you to lead us as you once did. And he began to kind of just pour over the reasons for this. And I think it's just because we've lost our souls. I think we've lost Jesus. We've just become about the first half of Titus. 
We build our own kingdoms. Individually, in the way we pursue health and wealth and prosperity and our status and our careers and our jobs and our families and our things. We build our own kingdoms. In the church, we try and big, build, build bigger buildings, more seats, more people, more groups, more numbers, more baptisms, more, more, more. In numbers and in numbers so that we can prove to the world that we're worth it, but we forget about God. We can do that all day. There are churches around the world who do everything right on the first half of Titus but miss Jesus, and I guarantee you that will fail. And it will fail here too if we miss Christ in the gospel. If we start being dependent on Anthony being a great speaker, a great leader, we start being dependent on Randy being a great elder who can come in and mentor and shepherd our young men. If we become dependent, and this is solely, solely dependent on the reality that we can put on a good show for you every Sunday morning, if we are not dependent on Jesus for everything, for God, for the Father, and for the work of the Holy Spirit who does all of the transformation you will ever need. The church is this training ground. I land with this last quote quote from James Smith. He says, but the practices of the church are a spiritual workout inviting us into routines that train our heart muscles, our fundamental desires that govern how we move and act in the world. This metaphor is at least as old as John Calvin. Calvin says, for Calvin, the church is a gymnasium, a training ground, a school, and a community of preparation and practice. Enrolled, we hope and pray, in God's sanctifying, transformative pedia or schooling. So I want to present that to you now as we go, to love the gospel, to ask the right questions, to sit in the grace of God as it transforms you, as we reject the things of the world, embrace the things of God, and that we plug into God's community where, that, where God has created this perfect environment and ecosystem for you and I to flourish in our pursuit of looking more like Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your grace. It gets said so much, I think I start every prayer with it, Lord, and so, God, may it not lose its vitality, its richness, and its depth. I pray for all of us, God, that if we learn anything today, it's that we are so dependent on you. God, there's nothing we do, good or bad, that is even possible unless you sustain the world. Thank you that you've created the environment and ecosystem that we could thrive. God, we repent of how we've abused that gift. God, to choose our own way and choose our own things. But Lord, then we move quickly to celebration that you came, that you died for our sins, and that you rose from the dead. And so Lord, this, this message should not lead us to shame. It should lead us to rejoicing. It should lead us to singing and thanksgiving in celebration that you did what we could not do. So we don't walk out in shame. We walk out in, in just joy and empower because you are here and you have done a mighty work on our behalf. But God, you want us to look more like you. And so Lord, conform us to you. Holy Spirit, we need you to change us continually. We know grace did not run out in justification 
but is poured out continually through our sanctification. God, bless us now, Lord, as we respond to you. Be in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. So we can take a couple minutes just to reflect on God's word. And I just, I just want to leave you that same question. Like, do you want to look more like Christ?